uh, am thankful for this church and our family here and thankful for our uh, Kathy and Randy and their family and their ministry here. It's a great blessing to us and uh, we're glad to be able to help in some way. That's what we that's what we want to do. But I want you to open your Bibles to Acts 13 right now. I, uh, I had this uh, message. It was not in a slideshow. I put it in the slideshow this afternoon, so it's not going to be as polished as it could be, but I think you'll get the point. And uh, so I hope that it'll be a help to you. I'm going to read... Let's stand together for just a moment. Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Serene and Manian which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. Now I want you to remember those uh, four people. We'll be mentioning them again. As they ministered to the Lord... And fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they added also John to their minister. Father, thank you tonight for the folks who have come to listen to the Word of God. And Lord, we're thankful that we have the Word, that you have preserved it for us and you've made it available to us. And we pray that you'd help us not to take it for granted, nor to think that human wisdom is anywhere equal to it. And we pray that you'll help us to study it, to show ourselves approved unto God. We thank you tonight that uh, you're the God of answered prayer. You don't just hear prayer, you answer it. And we're thankful that you promise blessings on those who walk right and do right. So we pray that you'll help us to be that kind of people and pray that you'll continue to bless this church with souls and fruit for their labor and uh, good health and good success in ministry. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Um, I've uh, titled this Send and Go. This is the church at Antioch and and this is really, in the Bible, the first missionary church. This is a, the church at Jerusalem had gotten huge on the day of Pentecost. You'll remember <coughs> Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. Uh, every man heard in his own language. He heard in his own tongue. And uh, there were devout Jews there from all the nations surrounding Israel. And there were other people from other nations. And they heard, every man heard in his own language, the Bible says. And so... Uh, then, uh, so they baptized about 2,000 people, or 3,000 were saved and baptized on the day of Pentecost. And then, uh, so the church at Jerusalem uh, probably got to around 30,000 people. And the Lord had said uh, before he ascended to heaven, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And they were focused on Jerusalem. And they had not uh, really uh, endeavored to take the gospel other places. They had not launched out. They had not sent out missionaries to any great degree. And their world was Israel. That was their world. And I'm going to show you how amazing that is in comparison. You talk about David and Goliath. Uh, you talk about uh, the situation being uh, uh, unusual and being surrounded by the enemy Here's a, a, a view of Israel. You can't see much of it. I don't know if I can, uh, I think I have a, I used to have a pointer. Oh, it's over there on the wall. But uh, you can see uh, Galilee and Samaria. And uh, so this is Jerusalem. Now, when you see it in a full uh, slide like that, it looks like a big place. But I want to tell you, in the map of the world, it's not a very big place. And, of course, uh, what, over 7 billion people in the world today? The whole world, uh, if I can, uh, so we have, right in here is Africa, so Israel is right up in this area. You can, it's so small they didn't even put the name on this map. It's not even there. I don't know if you can see right where I'm pointing uh, here, but... Uh, uh, of course, you've got all these other countries around there. So you can see it's surrounded by nations that are 
anti-God and Muslim and all kinds of, uh, so they really are the David and Goliath situation when you think about Israel. Now, if you take and blow it up a little bit, you can see uh, Israel is this little place right, okay, where did my pointer go? It's just to, to the low, lower of Syria, not helping me. Okay, Saudi Arabia. So this is Israel, this little blue spot right here. That's the whole nation of Israel. This is Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Iran. You talk about being surrounded in a David and Goliath situation when you think of the courage of the Israeli people and the, uh, and the uh, challenge that they have to trust God and believe God for their existence and, and uh, he's given them way more land than they now occupy. He's promised it to them. They'll get it during the millennium. They'll get it uh, at the return of the Lord. Uh, but all the people in Egypt, uh, you got the Coptic church, you got Muslims, you got all kinds of different things, Muslims in all those areas, and most of those nations hate the Israelites. And that's, of course, spilling over into America and spilling over into Christianity. Uh, the, the people that the people that have other, some of these other denominational beliefs uh, really hate Christianity. And uh, so when you, again, I've blown up, uh, you can see Africa, and I've blown this up a little bit. Uh, so just north, uh, right, in, right in this area here would be Israel, and you can see it's a very, very small nation by comparison to the surrounding nations. So, so having that in mind, you understand their known world was Israel. They, they didn't know anything about England or the United States or the Western world. That, the, the, there were Indians and people in these other countries, but their world was those nations that were around them. And there was people from all those nations that were uh, in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost that heard the gospel and when the church at Jerusalem got to be very large, thousands of people, uh, that's when uh, persecution came on the church and it was, they tried to stamp it out and all it did is send the sparks of evangelism into the regions beyond is what God told them to do in the first place. Christianity has always prospered under persecution. Where there's persecution, uh, you can read about how that... Uh, that people have been murdered at the stake, even here on this continent, and uh, they rejoiced in that they were willing to were able to suffer for the cause of Christ, and uh, they they made statements. You can read about it in history books that were amazing during the time of their persecution. This Rhode Island got started because the persecution of the of the uh, Congregationalists ran the Baptists out of Massachusetts, and they came to Rhode Island. And there's a little there's a little park, I think it's called Liberty Park, down off of Route 24 that is where that Roger Williams and Ann Hutchison and those few people that were run out of and whipped in Boston for baptizing babies and not recognizing state baptism, not baptizing babies, and, and, they, were, uh, and they resided, they went to Rhode Island and that's where First Baptist and Church in America uh, was started at Newport by John Clark, and Roger Williams was taught by him. John Clark was a doctor that came to New England in the, about 1638, and uh, had a he was a medical doctor, and he came to Rhode Island and started uh, Baptist Church in Newport. And Roger Williams was a product of his ministry. He was mentored by uh, John Clark, and Roger Williams didn't stay with the Baptists. Uh, later on after he started the church in uh, Providence, which is referred to as First Baptist in America, but he didn't even stay with the Baptist people, but his, uh, his mentor actually was the one that was uh, responsible for the first uh, Baptist church in America. And uh, so, now let's go back to our text. It said... Uh, they were in the church, and there were in the church that was Antioch. So we see a couple things about the church. They were in it, 
and it was at a location. Okay, so this is not a universal church. This is not an invisible church. There were people in the church at Antioch, and the church here, we don't know whether they had a building. We don't know what, it's not required the church has a building, but they were in the assembly in the church, which was at a certain location. It was in Antioch, and, uh, uh, and it says there were certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Serene and Manian, which had been up with Herod the Tetrarch. Now, this is going to tell us a number of things about these people and a number of things about this church because we see, first of all, there was someone named Barnabas. We know about Barnabas. Acts chapter 4, Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation. We know that he was, I see him as a big-handed, carpenter-minded, helpful person, just a a good-natured big man, that was, uh, that was just there. One of those guys that you can just count on. We don't hear anything about him preaching or teaching or being particularly uh, uh, you know, gifted in any area, but he was the son of consolation. And it takes people like that. Uh, maybe some of you don't have the gift of teaching or preaching, but you can sure be a consolation to somebody. So we see that in uh, Barnabas. And then we see Simeon, uh, Simeon called Niger. It's a designation of one of the teachers and prophets. Uh, I could give you a number of scriptures about uh, Barnabas. Barnabas is the one that uh, actually brought uh, Paul or Saul. He brought him to the apostles in Acts chapter 9. After You remember uh, Paul had the vision on, uh, in Acts chapter 9 on the road to Damascus when he finally said, Who art thou, art thou, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus whom thou persecuted. He was persecuting the church, and in persecuting the church, it was persecuting Jesus personally. And he said, I'm Jesus whom thou persecuted. So remember, if you raise your hand against the church, you've got a problem because the church belongs to God. God loves the church, and Jesus is the head of the church. So I'd be careful about persecuting the church. And so uh, God uh, uh, appeared to him, struck him blind, as a matter of fact. And Barnabas is the one in Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 9, Barnabas took Saul and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken unto him how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And uh, so uh, the church sent Barnabas uh, to Antioch. This is before Antioch became a great missionary church. And uh, they, uh, they sent him there. Uh, and in the Acts chapter 11, Barnabas went to Tarsus to seek Saul. Now, Tarsus was Paul's hometown. He was there before he was converted. And he was a Roman citizen. He was a Jew. And uh, he was a persecutor of the church and worked, for the, uh, worked against uh, the work of God. But Barnabas went to seek him after he found that he had been converted. And uh, in Acts chapter 11, verse 30, it says, uh, they sent uh, money by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. They carried money to Judea from the church at Antioch. So the church at Antioch was now sending money back to help the persecuted church at Jerusalem. And they used Barnabas and Saul or Paul to carry the money back to the church, okay? So I'm just giving you a little bit of history about uh, Barnabas and Saul. And they returned uh, uh, from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John in Acts 12 and verse 25. And it was John uh, who's called Mark. And then we get to Simeon called Niger. This is an interesting thing. And I'm doing this to bring a point. You'll get the point a little bit later on. It's the designation of Simeon, one of the teachers and prophets at Antioch. The word originated in the 18th century as an adaptation of the Spanish word uh, negro, a descendant of the Latin adjective negroesis. I don't know if I said that right, N-I-G-R-E-O-S-I-S, the Latin for black. Nigerians were generally dark-skinned. Simeon may have been so named because of his dark complexion, those in the know use the French-sounding French uh, French uh, for the word uh, 
for that for that for that Hebrew word, and emphasize the second syllable so it makes the approximate rhyme with Pierre, Nizer. And so the, the, the country Niger and Nigeria are two separate countries. And we may not always recognize that. They're separated by a river. Uh, Nigeria is a coastal country, and Niger is a landlocked country. The country takes its name from the Niger River, which flows through the southwestern part of its territory in Africa. And the name Niger derives from, in uh, turn from the phrase meaning river among rivers. So, uh, so, so here we uh, presume Simeon was a black man. He's in the church at Antioch. He became friends with Saul and Barnabas. So that's significant. I think that we can be friends with people from other nationalities, and that was true in the first church. And I, I've always said that churches should have an international flavor. They should have an international disposition to be able to accommodate people from different countries and different uh, nationalities. I, I, uh, I remember the first few years we were here, it was very difficult because of the nationality. You know, you had the French church, the Polish church, the and you go right down the list, and God forbid that anybody would cross over and go to somebody else's church because you weren't in that district or you weren't in that uh, designated uh, uh, origin. So then we have another one called Lucius of Cyrene, and Lucius means with illumination. I don't know what your name means. It's good to find out if you can. In the Bible, if you study names, you, you get a lot of idea of of who the people are and what they were like. You can study their names. Usually it has something to do with, with uh, what they are. Uh, but he was one of the teachers, uh, and he was an ancient Greek. Uh, this uh, city of Cyrene was an ancient Greek and later Roman city near present-day Libya. It was in Libya. I can't pronounce the name of the city in Libya. It was the oldest and most important of the Greek cities. And... Uh, uh, so on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, listen to this, about all those people who got saved and baptized, it says there was in Jerusalem, in Acts chapter 2 verse 10, people from Phrygia, Pamphylia, in Egypt, the parts of Libya, about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes. So very possible that Lucius of Cyrene was there on the day of Pentecost, at least some people from his country were there, and... Uh, uh, and so that's how the gospel got spread. Acts chapter 11, it says in verse 19, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that rose about Stephen traveled as far as Phenice and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake to Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. So you got, uh, you got Greeks and you got uh, uh people from all over the area, Cyprus uh, and Cyrene, and they spoke to the Grecians uh, preaching the Lord Jesus. So these people all had different beliefs. The Greeks and the uh, other people did not uh, readily accept uh, the gospel or the ministry of Jesus Christ, but the people that were on the day of Pentecost converted and they saw the tongues of fire and the languages that others spoke and they heard the testimonies and saw the baptism this was a major event in history. This was a life-changing, world-changing event in history. Romans 16 and verse 21, Paul writes to Timotheus, my work fellow, and Lucius, Lucius whose name means with illumination, the illuminated one. So he came out like you did from your family. Nobody believes like you, but you got the light. Amen. And that's what happened to Lucius. He was the illuminated one. Jason and my kinsmen, and we all salute you. So uh, they were in the church. So you had, and here's an interesting one, Manian. There in Acts chapter 13 uh, and verse 1, it says, uh, Manian, which would have been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. Uh, so it means in his childhood, he was brought up with Herod. Now, I don't know if you remember anybody from your childhood, but I do. And it was a long time ago. And I remember some people that I was brought up with. As a matter of fact, some of the best friends that I, or the only friends that I had, uh, took a different road. You know, there's, 
There's a poem by Robert Frost that I've liked ever since I was in junior high school. And it says, two roads diverged from an open wood, and I, I took the road less traveled by. And the end of that poem, the last phrase of that poem is, says, and I, and I took the road less traveled by, and that's made all the difference. So those other people that I was brought up with went on a different road. As a matter of fact, they went on the broad road. I took a different road. And, uh, and, and they didn't come with me. And, that, and it's, made a, it's made a difference for me. It hasn't made much difference for them. They went on with their life. One of my best friends bought a, you know, he's been married two or three times and bought a, a pub, one of the oldest pubs in our hometown. And uh, he and my other best friend became alcoholics, and I think both of them are dead today. So it's made all the difference for me because I'd been going down that same pathway if the Lord hadn't converted my soul. I'd have gone down that same pathway. And so it doesn't bother me that I'm on a different road. I'm glad. I'm glad I'm on a different road because I know where this road's going. And I've got peace in my heart. And Jesus saved my soul. He loves me, and I'm glad about all that. And so, uh, so but I want to say about, it said he was brought up with Herod the, the Tetrarch. So, so Manian loved the Lord, and Herod loved the world. Herod the Tetrarch was one of those. There were several Herods during the life of Jesus Christ that we read about in the Bible. And, uh, and, and we notice that the word Tetrarch literally means the governor of a fourth part of the province. It's applied to the governor of any small province in that area. It's employed in the New Testament in reference to Herod Antipas, the Tetrarch of Galilee and Perea. Philip, the Tetrarch of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Lysantius, Tetrarch of Abilene. So these were rulers of these uh, like uh, counties or communities or we might say some of them might have even been as big as states, but they were, but, but Mannion was brought up with someone who became politically great and, uh, and one of the Herods that was against Christianity and hated Christ. And so I don't know how it is with you, but I, I, I grew up with some people that were vile and wicked, and God put me on a different road. And I, I don't regret having departed company with them. I don't regret having found new friends in Christ. I don't regret having Christ as my best friend, as, as my Savior. And I don't regret that I have a home in heaven. And I don't regret that I'm not remembered by those people. I don't regret that at all. I don't regret that they, in fact, I hope they don't remember me because all they could remember is some bad things, see? I'm glad that we can get over our past and God forgives us of everything, see? That's what happens when we get saved. He didn't forgive all, some of our sins. He forgave all of our sins when we got saved. And so Manian was a converted heathen. And really, uh, that's what all of us were, but some of us don't admit it. Some people say, well, I used to be, a, and they'll name a denomination, but really what you were was lost, and you got saved. So it doesn't matter whether you were a Catholic or a Christian, Protestant, it doesn't matter. If you weren't saved, you were a heathen, just like Mannion was. And Mannion was around people who would have led him into wickedness, and he chose Christ and went to church. And he wound up in the church at Antioch as an important, one of the prophets and teachers mentioned here, at the church at Antioch. So uh, you'll remember that uh, Herod, Luke chapter 13, there came certain of the Pharisees saying to him, get thee out and depart hence for Herod will kill thee. They were telling Jesus this and he said to them, go ye and tell that fox, behold, I cast out devils and I do cures today and tomorrow on the third day I shall be perfected. So Jesus said, you tell Herod that I'm gonna continue doing what I'm supposed to do and uh, so there is a difference between light and darkness, good and evil, God and the devil. And uh, we, uh, uh, human beings are given the choice as to whether or not we're going to serve the Lord or serve the flesh and the devil. And so uh, Manian was one that had made that uh, conversion from being brought up with wicked people. And so, uh, so these people... Uh, Oh, we, we notice one more. Saul, 
In Acts chapter 9, you remember in verse 1 it says, Saul yet breathing out uh, threatenings and slaughter uh, against the disciples of the Lord went to the high priest. You remember he took money and they hired him to go and persecute uh, the churches and to root out Christianity. So he was really not just a heathen, but he was a tool in Satan's hand to prevent the prosperity of Christianity and the preaching of the cross and the health of Christians. He was actually bringing them to their death, bringing them bound and putting them to death. And so he was converted. Now we, in our, in our mind, we don't think people like that can be saved, but Saul was like that. And his name was Saul. He was converted to Paul. Paul means little one. And uh, in the world, he was a big one. And God made him into one of his disciples. He was a, he was a Jew, a Roman citizen, persecuted Christians. And uh, so uh, these uh, were in the church and they secondly ministered unto the Lord. That's what you do in the church. You minister unto the Lord. You, people say, well, I just came to help and people just use me and I just work hard and I just do everything. And I'm the only one that's doing anything. But remember, you're not doing it for the pastor. You're not doing it for uh, other people. You're doing it for the Lord. That's what we do. We minister unto the Lord. We, uh, a lot of people think the pastor is their minister, and that's true. He is. He's not their servant. We're servants of the Lord, primarily servants of the Lord. We like to help people, but honestly, no pastor can measure up to everybody's expectations. Some people want them to drive the car and be their Uber driver for them, take them to the doctor and take them to the hospital and go get their medicine and everything else, and some pastors can do that. Uh, but the more people you have, the harder it is to be everything for everybody. And that's why people need to find out where we can fit in and do. Uh, you know, I, I don't remember, I don't know if anybody was, uh, can remember, but when I got ran over, I used to mow the grass here. With the, We had a, this is probably two or three lighting, riding lawnmowers back. You've probably worn two or three out since then. But I used to mow the grass and enjoyed it because I used to drive tractor on the farm and I kind of enjoyed working with the land and that kind of thing. But when I got ran over, I was worried about uh, the property because I was doing that. And I came here and it was all spruced up and the grass was mowed. And I told the men at that time, I said, I didn't know you could mow grass. <laughs> and I said, I'm not mowing the grass anymore. Because here's what you've got to realize. If the pastor does what you're capable of doing and wears himself out doing what you're capable of doing, and he comes to the pulpit worn out, who's going to cover for him when he can't stand in the pulpit anymore? Because you can't stand in for what he's supposed to do, what his calling is. And so when he needs help, it's not because he needs help. He needs help so he can be what he's supposed to be and do what he's called to do. He may enjoy mowing grass, and I don't hold that against him if they want to do that. But there's going to come a time when he can't do everything for everybody. I said, there's going to come a time when he can't do everything for everybody. Amen. Pastors can't do that. I used to think I was Superman when I came here, and I found out in a couple of years that, that that was not true. That was not true. I endured, but I wasn't Superman. And so uh, I, think one of the, I think one of the most complimentary things that was ever said to me is, are you still here? <laughs> most people don't last as long as you did. So I thought, well, praise the Lord. And uh, so, so just realize that there were in the church people with all kinds of, uh, from all kinds of places that had all kinds of backgrounds. They were not uh, all doing the same thing, but they all uh, meshed together. So it says, they ministered unto the Lord. And that's what every Christian needs to have on their heart. How can I be a blessing? How can I minister to the Lord? What does God want me to do? And, and, and that's not saying that you have to be a missionary or a preacher, but we are laborers together with God, Paul says. We, we all have something that we can do uh, to shoulder the load for the work of God and not necessarily to magnify the preacher or somebody else, but to magnify the Lord and to make his name great and to look what God's doing, not look what I'm doing, look what the Lord's doing. And he's doing it through his people. I said this the other day when I was preaching here and I think that every blessing that we get comes through somebody's hands. When you go buy a property and say, wow, somebody really takes care of that property. Well, God didn't do that. God did that through the hands of somebody. Somebody did that. When you look at somebody and say, wow, uh, 
I got a blessing. Uh, somebody did this or something. The Lord provided this or that for me. Well, he provided this or that for you through somebody's hands. Somebody was used by God to minister and that's how you wound up with your blessing. Does that make sense to you? And that's why uh, it's important to understand that the church is a body that functions together. So the church at Antioch was a functioning body and they were in the church. They ministered to the Lord and they had a calling. Acts 13, 3, and when they, when they, now notice it says, when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them Barnabas and Saul away. So when they, the church, the assembly, the people, it doesn't name all the church. It only names five in this chapter that I'm reading about. But no doubt there were many more people in the church at Antioch than just these five. These five are the ones that are mentioned for their ministry. But there was no doubt many other people that were in the church that had a part in the success of what these five were doing and what these two particularly were called to do. Uh, so when they, the church, had fasted and prayed, so that's something the church can do, and laid their hands on them, they, the church, sent them away. The church sent Barnabas and Saul away. So, so Barnabas and Saul were called by God, but I want you to notice something. They were sent by the church in a physical way. It says, so they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, but the previous verse says they were sent by the church. The church sent them away, but Acts 4, 13, 4, it says they were sent by the Holy Ghost. When somebody says the Lord told me to do this, you better be sure that the Lord and the church are in agreement about that. The Lord and the church need to be in agreement about that. When somebody says, well, I had a vision and the Lord told me to do this, if you're not working in the church, being led by a pastor, a God-called, spirit-filled pastor of the church, you're probably not being led by the Lord at the same time. You understand what I'm saying? We can get so led by our feelings that we minister outside the church when God has chosen to use the church for his ministry, his church and the people that have been vetted or authenticated by their work in the church and their, their, works, do, uh, their works do corroborate their calling. So these were in the church. They were called by the Holy Ghost. They were sent by the Holy Ghost, but guess who sent them? The church. So the Holy Ghost and the church are not synonymous, but they're compatible. They work in conjunction with each other. And when somebody says, well, God told me to do this and the church doesn't want to do that, you better get, your, you better get on your knees and find out who's missing the mark, whether the church is missing the mark or whether you're not understanding that the, the church and the Holy Ghost work together. And uh, I always told people, I, I hate to say this, but I always told people, if you have ought against your brother, go to him. So they thought that meant, if you don't like what the pastor said, go tell him so. And I listened, but it means more than that. And, and it also means uh, to go and listen. And uh, if there's not evidence of corruption and there's not evidence of something that's wrong, then it's wrong to spread rumors and say things that are not true and to suppose things. That's wickedness, see? So, uh, so that, has, that has ruined many churches by people that just will not abide by scriptural principles, when the Holy Spirit and the church are working in conjunction, God places his pastors, and if you have a pastor that's, that's been vetted, corroborated, and his works do verify his calling and his lifestyle is commensurate with his calling, then he's God's man. God works through his pastors. They're, they're under shepherds of his churches, uh, his bodies on earth. Christ is the head of the church, but he uses men to be under shepherds to guide the congregation in the physical way. The Holy Spirit guides all of them together. And I, uh, I like to say this. I, have, I haven't said it here, I don't think, but I, I, uh, I, believe that a, um, I believe that a church, uh, you, you know, people talk about uh, majority rule. I think that we have to have, uh, in, in concert, we have to have, uh, it's, it's ruled by God. The church is ruled by God and we, and uh, the majority ought to understand that God has placed a leader in the church to lead them to be in agreement about things. And uh, I, I think a church needs to be in agreement. As a matter of fact, if people are in disagreement about what the church is doing, somebody's wrong. 
Somebody's not being led by the Holy Spirit. And uh, so we need to keep that in mind because God wants his church to be unified and harmonious and happy and helpful and, and willing to give and do and go and minister to the Lord. So this church at Antioch was ministering to the Lord. And that's what this church is supposed to be doing here in 2022, ministering to the Lord. And if you minister to the Lord, you'll be in harmony with each other. And you'll be doing what God wants you to do and not just what you feel like doing. You'll be doing what God wants you to do. So we notice that they were sent forth by the Holy Ghost and they uh, departed unto Seleucia and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. So, so remember this, they were, they were called by God, sent by the Holy Ghost, but sent by the church. So it can't be either or, it's got to be both. The church has to be in agreement with what it's doing and the Holy Spirit doesn't disagree with the church. And by the way, if a church votes on something, which are very little things for church to vote on, there has to be, uh, you know, if you have a 60-40 vote, uh, there'll be somebody who said, well, I, didn't, I, I remember I was in a church and I said, well, I got a 100% vote to come here and help you. And one guy came to me after and he said, you didn't get 100%, I didn't vote for you. Well, he must not have voted at all because the count was unanimous. And... Uh, so, but in the case where a church does vote and prays that the Holy Spirit will lead them, then the minority is responsible to say, we understand the Holy Spirit doesn't lead in two directions at the same time. Amen? Can you accept that? The Holy Spirit cannot be divided by 60-40. That's what's wrong with a democratic idea where majority rules. The Holy Spirit rules, not the majority. And, and, and people get the idea, well, I didn't vote for that and I'm not going to participate and I'm going to quit giving because I didn't vote for that. You're not the Holy Spirit and if the Holy Spirit can't be divided and you're not in the majority, somebody's wrong. Are you with me? So we don't all get our way. We don't all get what we want. But we have to be uh, led by the Spirit and willing to be led by the Spirit. Okay, so, so churches don't always do exactly what we want, but they do what God wants. They're supposed to do what God wants, and that may not always suit us. It probably won't, and that's why some of these pews are vacant because somebody got the idea it's not going the way I want it to. Okay, so that's why God gave you a pastor. That's why God gave you some men that have spiritual understanding in the church to get together and lead the congregation. Okay, so they were in the church and uh, they added John to their minister. They were sent by God. Now, uh, we notice that uh, they were sent by the church in a spiritual way, but they were, uh, they were different. Now, think about this with me. They were different races. Barnabas was a Jewish uh, Levite. He was from the tribe of Levi. He would have been familiar with the law. He would have had relatives probably in the priesthood. He was from that tribe of people. So he was very familiar with the Old Testament. You had Lucius, an enlightened Libyan. You had Manian, a converted heathen. Simeon, a, a Nigerian, a Gentile heathen. And Paul, a Roman persecutor of Christianity. So that's the people that made up this first missionary endeavor from the church at Antioch. They were different in many ways. They had different languages, different looks, and different backgrounds. Now, and if you look around in here, you'd say, well, this, everybody's different. Well, that's the way it's supposed to be. We don't, we're not supposed to be like teenagers say, I'm not going to be like everybody else, so they dress just like all the other teenagers. See? But in church... We're not supposed to be just like everybody else. We don't have to all wear the same clothes or carry the same handbags or, or wear the same shoes or wear the same kind of clothing and, or wear the same hairstyle. That's not, that's not what Christianity is about. We're not supposed to be cookie-cutter Christians. It wasn't that way in the first church. I expect these guys were as different in their dress as they could possibly be. They were different in their appearance, different colored skin, and they spoke different languages. But they were in the church. And the Lord spoke to their heart and they were called by God and they were sent by the Holy Spirit 
and they were sent by the church. So it is a wonderful thing when you have that global uh, unity where different people, and I like what was said this morning, things that are different are not the same. But we can be the same in the Lord. See? We can be the same in the Lord. I, I came from a church when I got saved that they did have cookie cutter Christianity. You had to have a certain hair length. You had to wear a certain kind of clothes. Women had to dress a certain way. You had, uh, you, you know, it was all prescribed almost by uh, the supposed leadership that everybody did what uh, was acceptable. But that's, you don't find that in the Bible. I mean, as long as you're not talking about immoral conduct or disgraceful dress or uncleanness, I think uncleanness is something. I had a man here one time. I was talking about it uh, earlier today. I had a man come to church one time that his body odor was so bad that it, it, it disrupted the whole service. And he sat down in the front. So I talked to him about it. And... Uh, he didn't like what I said, so he quit, which was probably a blessing at the time because almost everybody was coming to me saying, Pastor, can't you do something about that? Pastors are supposed to fix everything. <laughs> so I spoke to him about cleanliness, taking a bath, and uh, so I didn't see him anymore, but I went to another church in the area, and he had joined that church, but guess what? He was cleaned up. So maybe I got to have a part in their blessing. In fact, I didn't recognize him until somebody pointed it out that, that he used to go over here. So, so you, don't, you don't want to be obnoxious with people, but you don't want, you don't want people to be obnoxious for, for other people either. See, and that's why we need to behave ourselves and not be obnoxious in our dress or our conversation or our body odor. Those are important things if we're going to get together. I want to be around clean people. I want to be around people that take a bath once in a while. Somebody told me they smelled my cologne this morning. A couple of people did, and I said, well, that's good. That's an improvement. So we ought to want to look nice and smell nice because we represent the Lord. It's not about what we wear or, uh, or it's not about the quality of things that we purchase, but it's about whether we have uh, cleanliness and holiness about our conduct and our behavior and, 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 that, and that. So, um, so we see here they were different, different races. Black and Greek and Jewish, all in the same congregation. Different languages, different looks, different backgrounds. But they were the same. They had the same Savior. And you look around a room like this, everybody in here is just as saved as you are. They don't dress the way you do, but they're just as saved as you are. They may not have an expensive uh, suit of clothes or handbag or shoes, but... If they have Jesus, they're just as saved as you are. Amen. And the same location, they were in the church. Saved people go to church. Saved people don't let the government dictate to them about their worship. They do what God says. They ought to obey God rather than men. They want to serve God. And they have the same doctrine, the word of God. That's what saved people do. They were in the. They had this. They were had some things the same, and they had the same purpose to preach the gospel and plant churches. So that's what the church at Antioch was sending them to uh, these other areas to to preach the gospel in the regions beyond. And that's what we do when missionaries come. Thank the Lord, He's still calling missionaries, and there are missionaries that go to some of these difficult places. That uh, that uh, window where all the most of the people in the world, it's a Muslim, it's a Muslim area. And uh, it's a very difficult area. And I, I uh, have some experience with dealing with that kind of people. And they're very, uh, they're very difficult to, to deal with. And they have an attitude against uh, Christianity. Uh, America has got a generally open attitude to the gospel. But they think if you go to church or you name the name of Jesus, that makes you a Christian. And, and consequently, we have a very anemic Christianity, we don't have a militant soldier-like Christianity. We have an anemic Christianity. People that uh, 
can't take pressure. I was asked a lady one time if she'd like to be saved, and she said, I can't take pressure. I thought, if you think that's pressure, you're going to have a real miserable life because we all have pressure. We all have things that we have to decide, things that we have to make up our minds about. And they had the same purpose, to preach the gospel and plant churches in the regions beyond. You know, this church has the same purpose. This church, I'm, I'm kind of glad. I mean, I know you have to minister to old people, and I know you have to minister to special interest group, but I was in a church in, uh, in Texas that is, uh, you know, it was started. How old is it? It was started by John R. Rice himself back in the 40s probably. And the church is affluent today, has beautiful buildings, beautiful property, uh, but it's full of people. They have their tennis club on one day and their dominoes club on another day and their luncheon on another day and uh, not a whole lot about reaching out in the community. I mean, they do some of that, but, but we have the idea that the church is a social organization. And it is a social organization to some degree. And we do eat together and we do have things together. And it's not wrong to have a game night or a campfire and things like that. But the primary thing is to get the gospel out of the building and into the community and get people saved and get people to come to church so they can hear the gospel and hear the testimonies of the great uh, changes that God's made in the lives of the people that go to church here and, and hear about how come we're alike but we're different. How come we're all the same but we're so different in many ways. And what's the common denominator? Well, that's Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the fact that we're members of one body together. And so uh, we notice here that there was five men. Five is a number of grace. It takes a lot of grace to grow in grace, doesn't it? It takes a lot of God's grace to help us to grow. And because we slip and we fail and we have to get started again. And uh, there were three men. Now Barnabas and uh, uh, Saul were sent, but three of the men mentioned in our text stayed in the church, and that speaks of plurality. And three... It doesn't say this in the text and doesn't have anything to do with the text, but three is the number of the Trinity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. There has to be a continuity of God working together with his Son and the Holy Ghost in the church so that those who are called can be used by God. The Holy Spirit works in conjunction with the church. And the Father calls, the Word illuminates, and the Spirit empowers. And those three, they, work to, they don't work against each other, they work together. And if I was trying to do something that uh, uh, my pastor or the church didn't agree with, I'd pray, God, help me to understand what your purpose is and help me to know how I can best fit into your plan for this church that I'm a member of and how that I can be the best example in the world doing what I'm supposed to do as a member of this body. So, uh, so I wanted to emphasize the fact that I think there are a lot more people in that church than five. But God chose these five to show us that three stayed and two went. I wish we could get two to go for every three that give. I think it takes a lot more givers to send two now than it did then. It takes a lot of giving, a lot of praying, a lot of helping. And we need to pray the Lord of the harvest that he had sent forth laborers. How's he going to send forth the laborers? The Holy Spirit's going to, God's going to call them. The Holy Spirit's going to send them. And he's going to use the church to provide their physical needs. Just like he did in the church at Antioch. Does that make sense to you? If it makes sense to you, then I want you to pray, God, how do I fit into this plan of being in the church and being used of God and being separated to the Lord. When we see these two men separated unto the Lord, there was a partnership, and that's what we have. As we labor together for God, we have a partnership. We're working together. We ought to be praying for our missionaries, praying for other pastors, praying for other churches, and praying that God would use our pastor uh, in a spirit-filled way to help us understand how that we can get the gospel into the regions uh, beyond. So it takes all of us doing what we can under the leadership of the Lord, empowered by the Holy Spirit, partnering together to win the lost and build churches full of people who are all in for Jesus Christ. So that's what we need to be. We don't need to say, 
come to church and say, well, they don't have a nursery. They don't have a cry room. They don't have anything for the teenagers. The church is not about what they don't have. They didn't have any of that stuff. In Jerusalem, they had 3,000 people saved in one day. They didn't have any of that stuff at Antioch. But people today go looking for a church about how old's the pastor? How long's he been there? What kind of a car does he drive? Does he wear a tie? And, uh, and those are questions that are really not relevant to his spiritual conduct or ability. And they're not relevant to the evaluation of a church. We had a Christian school, uh, as many of you know, and I, I'm so gullible, but anyway, I, I went, there was a gas station that went out of business down here one time, and I stopped in there. They had some office equipment for sale, and I went in there and bought a telephone that you could put a quarter in and make local calls. So I bought that and gave it to Mr. Malik, and I said, Mr. Malik, if the students need to call home or something, they can use this telephone. And he started laughing. I said, he said, Pastor, I said, What's funny? He said, all these kids got cell phones. <laughs> that was back when, every, when I didn't have a cell phone. <laughs> and, uh, you, and, you, and you think that, uh, so you'd come, to our, you'd come to our school meeting and I'd preach to the parents. The parents, most of them didn't go to this church. And so the parents are the ones that needed to be encouraged because they were paying for us to do for their kids what they were not doing for themselves. We had our school teachers park over here with their old junk cars. We had the students park over there with their new cars. There's something wrong about that. There's something just wrong about that. And so we need to be authentic in what we're trying to accomplish and authentic in what we practice and find out, God, how can I partner together with these other church members so we can get the job done for the Lord and be happy to see fruit that abounds to our account. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. Whether going or staying, the purpose is the same. They were in the church, called by God, and sent forth by the Holy Ghost and the church together. Father in heaven, we thank you tonight for your love to us, and we're glad that your plan doesn't evolve or change. And we're glad, Lord, that you bless churches that follow your plan and that surrender to your spirit and follow your word to accomplish your will. We pray that you bless this people as you have in the past and give more and more fruit for their labor. And Lord, if there's someone here tonight that has not partnered with the church or yielded themselves to the Holy Spirit, I pray they'll do it tonight. Perhaps there's someone that's not even sure they're saved, I pray they'd be saved tonight. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.